Today's episode has a trigger warning with a mention of rape and sexual assault. Can you find me? I'm here. Behind you, look. Welcome back to another episode of this some scary shit. I know, I know what you're thinking. I've been gone for like what two weeks. Um, it's starting to get hot here in Korea, so I had to commence my little hot girl summer. Well, hot girl spring or sizzle girl spring, cause we ain't hot yet. We ain't that hot yet. But I was just trying to, you know, enjoy couple of my weekend and I just lost some track of time but I'm back with episode 10 um I am so sorry for my listeners who have been looking I I'm going to do better not I'm going to try I am going to do better so without further ado let's get right into it Alright guys, so today's story is about the Oklahoma Girl Scouts murder. Yes, the Girl Scouts. Uh, this story kind of touches like really close to me because I was once a Girl Scout and I went to a Girl Scout camp when I was around the same age as these victims or these young girls. So the victims are Lori Lee Farmer, age 8, Michelle Heather Goose, age 9, and Doris Denise Milner, age 10. We have one suspect. His name was Gene Leroy Hart, and the murders happened on June 13, 1977, at Camp Scott in Mays County, Oklahoma. So you send your children to camps in hopes that they receive an experience of their lifetime, you know, meeting new friends, participating in various activities, and spending their summer days away from school and their parents. But unfortunately for Lori, Michelle, and Doris, their summer and their lives were cut short by one sick-ass bastard. So Mays County was the home of Camp Scott, which has been operated by the Girl Scouts since 1928. Now, um, I will say this, if you're listening in an area where, or in a country that does not have Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts is pretty much just like a bunch of girls learning girl things or just um I I can't even explain. It's like Boy Scouts but with for girls. Like you just learn a lot of things and all the time it's really fun. Like it's it's just fun. Think of it like community service. Okay? So the county has a population of 30,000 people a lot of forest land and is two miles from the town of Locust Grove and 50 miles from Tulsa's Girl Scout headquarters. Now on June 12, 1977, the Girl Scout bus was full of children and it was loaded and made a drive of about an hour to the campsite. So campers who have been there before unloaded and found their tents with no problems. There was a camp counselor by the name of Michelle Hoffman. She saw Doris and guided her to her tent, which was the Kiowa tent number eight. 
Now, this tent was close to the bathrooms and the kitchen, so it was pretty convenient for Doris. Once Doris arrived inside, she quickly made friends. And after a few songs and laughs, Doris became camp best friends with eight-year-old Lori and nine-year-old Michelle. One counselor noted that they that even though they were three of the quietest kids individually, they had their tent jamming before bedtime. Like they had it lit. Like it was Club Kiowa tent number eight. Okay. Now as the nighttime fell, the three girls tried to brave a storm together in their tent. Now on the morning of June 13, 1977, of course, a camp counselor was trying to hit the showers in the early hours of 6 a.m when she spotted three sleeping bags in the woods. Now, if you, first of all, if everyone had a tent, you know, why are there sleeping bags outside the tents? I know at the Girl Scout camp that I went to in Atlanta, we didn't, I didn't stay in the tents. I mean, my camp had tents, but the younger girls had cabins. We had cabins. So, um, Pretty much everyone had a roof over their head, some kind of roof, okay? So she sees these sleeping bags, and she walks towards them, and that's when she saw three girls' bodies. Now, the counselor noticed Doris first, as her body was on top of the sleeping bag. Now, this prompted the counselor to run and seek help. She she ran and grabbed the camp director and the nurse, and once they arrived at the scene, That is when they saw the other sleeping bags with more bodies. Now, by 8 a.m., the news of murders hit the airwaves, with some calling it a freak accident and others calling it foul play. But why would you call it a freak accident? These are kids. Like, how? what kind of freak accident would happen with some kids in the woods? Like, okay. But authorities were already aware of what really happened. It was found that Lori and Michelle were beaten to death, and Doris was strangled. But that was just the surface of what happened. Of the three girls that were found murdered, two of them had been raped, and the other one had been sodomized. At the time, it had been unclear which girl suffered what, but what was clear was how one was treated differently from the others and not stuffed into the sleeping bag. Hmm. Now, I don't not now if you look at the pictures that I post on Instagram, you can see the pictures of the three girls. I do label them. Doris was the only black girl. And Doris was the only one treated differently. So during this, camp admin got all the campers back on buses and brought them back to Tulsa to their parents. The police conducted interviews and it revealed that there had been eerie noises that night. When a counselor went to investigate the sounds of moaning around 1.30 a.m., they didn't see anything. Supposedly, a camper in tent 7 was woken about 30 minutes later with a flashlight shown in their face. One girl heard a scream at 3 a.m. while the cries cries of someone saying, Mama, Mama, was heard by another. Now... If these folks heard this shit, why nobody got up to go see what it was? I get it was a storm, but and you didn't want to be out in the storm, but shit, this is a camp camp with little kids. If you hear someone in distress, get your ass up 
and go see what the fuck is going on. Instead, you just like, oh, okay, never mind. And you rolled back over and went to sleep. You know what I'm about to do? I'm about to start creating a list of people who just need to take their ass on the hill. Because fuck you, okay? Fuck you. I don't care if it was kids, camp counselors, like, you hear the noise. Why didn't you get up to go to, to get somebody? Like, I don't, I don't get that. So a landowner nearby the campsite said they heard quite a bit of traffic on the road between 2 and 3 a.m. Now, I get you hear the traffic, but and you don't want to say nothing. You just think somebody's just trying to make their way through the little area. I understand that. Going back to the crime scene, it was covered in blood and had been wiped around with a mattress and some towels. There had been footprints inside and outside the tent, but each print varied in size. The killer or killers left behind duct tape, cords, and a flashlight. Now, authorities did find a print on a lens, but they failed to identify who it belonged to. What was most triggering was that the murders had been planned for months. And how did they come to this conclusion? I really want y'all to hold y'all's feet on this part because I'm going to go on the biggest rant. It may not be that big. It may not be that long, but I'm going to cuss this person to fuck y'all so in april of that year a counselor's cabin was ransacked and somebody left a note behind that read we are on a mission to kill three girls in one tent and it was signed by quote unquote the killer and the goddamn camp counselor treated this as a fucking joke a joke a joke why would you treat something like this as a joke first of all lock the cam counselor up and send his ass and the key straight to hell because why if somebody wrote a note saying they are going to kill three children not girls not just girls three children in a tent in a specific tent one and signed it the killer i'm going to the police i am going to do my job i am going to find the protection for my campers what i won't do is treat something like this as a fucking joke. A joke. You know what? Who I'm really surprised they did not list the camp director at the time's name because I would have said his whole name and ripped his ass to new one. I'm so pissed. I'm pissed. So there was a whoo. So there was a lot of miscommunication about the things going on during the investigation. The sheriff, Glenn Weaver at the time, claimed to have found the murder weapon, but the DA, Sid Wise, said otherwise. Now at the same time, police dogs located a cave two miles from the camp, and it had a flashlight battery, glasses that could have been stolen from the camp, and pictures of women that helped officers to link them to a man named Gene Leroy Hart. They also saw in the cave some writings on the wall that read, The killer was here, 
Bye Bye Fools, dated June 17th, 1977. Now, let's get into Jean Leroy Hart. He was a convicted rapist and a kidnapper. Kidnapper. He was already in jail. But at the time, he had escaped from the Mays County Jail in 1973. And he was believed to be sheltered within the local Cherokee community. They were able to track him down five years later. And after using $1.2 million of taxpayers' money. And he was found in a Cherokee cabin. Now, this was regarded as the largest and longest manhunt in Oklahoma history. Although there was no evidence to solidify heart to the murders, members of the American Indian movement argued that the sheriff just wanted to find a scapegoat to pin the murders on. Now, despite this accusation, they arrested Hart and transported him to the Oklahoma State Pen and charged him with three first-degree murders. The, the prosecution argued that Hart's eyeglasses were stolen from the camp and that hair found on the duct tape resembled his throughout the trial. Now, let's, let's take a moment and think. I'm pretty sure back in 1977, they didn't have the same technology that we have now to where we can identify hair, use Ancestry.com to, you know, track down suspects and stuff like that. So they, they're pretty much just going off of eye, tooth, and nail at this point. Okay. Now, the trial lasted from March 19th to May 30th, 1979. Meanwhile, the defense argued that the glasses were taken from Hart's earlier rape victims, which Hart himself confirmed, and that the remainder were planted by Weaver. An alternate suspect emerged after a witness, waitress Dean Boyd, testified that she saw a troubled man at her diner 15 miles from Camp Scott on the morning of the killings. The man, who was identified as William Stevens, was also a convicted rapist, whom an 11-year-old child had seen on Camp Scott premises just days before June 13th. Now, another man named Dwayne Peters, who happened to be Stevens' buddy, alleged not only that he had loaned Stevens the flashlight found at the site, but also that Stevens revealed to him the killings on October 1977. Unfortunately, on May 30th, 1979, a jury of six men and six women debated for about five minutes before declaring Jean Leroy Hart not guilty. And even if Hart did do the crimes, despite this acquittal, he still had 305 years of his 308-year sentence left to serve from a previous charge. So he was still going back to jail because he was already in jail and they're catching him. They were just trying to attack on another charge for him. At this point, even if he did do it, he was still going to go to jail. So on June 4th, 1979, the son of a bitch died of a fucking heart attack. What an easy way to cop out, bitch. So there has been some updates since Hart's acquittal and death. Nothing else about uh, the Stevens guy. Um, they really just wanted to pin everything on Hart. Um, unfortunately they found him not guilty, but he still had to go back to jail. So he still had a life sentence, but he only died literally a, a month later, a month after the acquittal. So despite the acquittal and all, and his death, 
1989, DNA testing was done and showed that three of the five probes matched Hart's DNA. Hmm. According to statistics, DNA from one in every 7,700 Native Americans would get these results. Authorities did additional DNA testing on stains discovered on a pillowcase in 2008, but the results were inconclusive because the samples were too old to produce a DNA profile. The sheriff raised $30,000 in contributions in 2017 to do additional DNA tests utilizing cutting-edge testing technology. The Farmer and Miller families, however, eventually filed a $5 million negligence lawsuit against the Magic Empire counselor and its insurer. The threatening note and the fact that tent number 8 was 86 yards or 79 meters from the counselor's tent were also discussed during the civil trial. Magic Empire was chosen by jurors on a 9-3 vote in 1985. So they ended up, the Farmer and Milner families ended up losing their lawsuit. Um, to be honest, the jurors can go to hell because they their tent was so close to the counselors, the counselors should have heard that shit. Should have heard something going on. And you mean to tell me that y'all denied this these families a negligence lawsuit? What kind of shit? What kind of crack are y'all on? Oh, Jesus. Now, the father of one of the three victims, Richard Goose, went on to help the state legislature create the Oklahoma Victims Bill of Rights. He was also a founding member of the Oklahoma Crime Victims Compensation Board. Another parent, Sherry Farmer, formed the Oklahoma chapter of the Parents of Murdered Children Support Group. Unfortunately, till this day, this murder still remains unsolved. Um, we don't know who did it. As far as suspects, it was only two, and one of them's dead. So I, I am, I will pray for the families because, like I said in the beginning, this this story touches home. Like I went to a Girl Scout camp. And I'm pretty sure my parents were scared to let me go. Like, I went for two weeks back to back. I actually went to the same camp three times. And I went with the church Girl Scout group. And then I went by myself without my Girl Scout troop. And I met some wonderful people. I still have some of the things that I've created from the camp. I, that I Honestly, that was an awesome experience. And I don't want, if you're listening to this story and you have kids that are in Girl Scouts, don't let this story deter you from sending your kids to the camp. Um, I'm pretty sure since this story, they buffed up security, um, made it much more safe, made it to where people cannot come onto the campsite and if they're not allowed to. Also, Camp Scott did end up closing down for good because of these murders. It was not going to survive after this big, you know, this big case so they decided to close it down I'm really surprised that they didn't close all the camps down but I'm pretty sure that they took the proper measures to make it more safe and more enjoyable so that these you know future girls can enjoy their time so with that being said send the camp director to hell 
uh, send the jurors, all the jurors, from that negligence lawsuit. Mine, not the three jurors, but not the three jurors that voted for them to win. The nine jurors that wanted them, that told them they, sh- they didn't deserve shit. They can go to hell and kiss my ass. And that's all I'm going to say. Next case. All right. So today's Reddit story is from Reddit user HelloKitty13. And it is titled, My Soulmate Visits Me, But I Don't Know Him. So this is this is different. So it's not like a you know one of them demon stories that you know I've been reading about. This one is about pretty much dream visitation. Um, I've never had this before. I've had dreams where like I've seen people I don't know, but I mean of course they're re- they're they're real, but I don't know them. So let me start the story. This all started around 2020. I female 18 would have weird dreams about a boy that I didn't know. From the start, I knew it was not a normal dream and that this was a real person. He had a clear face that I had never seen before and told me a lot about himself through multiple dreams. Eventually, these dreams stopped appearing daily and turned into a monthly thing. I've been happily dating my boyfriend for almost a year now and have no intention in breaking up with him. However, a professional psychic friend of my mom was able to perfectly describe everything my boyfriend had ever done wrong and or write to me. My mom didn't have this info. Nobody but me and my boyfriend did. And told me that I should enjoy the relationship for as long as I could because my real soulmate was still waiting on me. And me and my boyfriend wouldn't last forever. I asked him for the name of this person, which was the same name the boy from my dreams had given to me. A name that I had never heard before except from that dream, from that dream boy. I have never told him or anybody else about the dreams or the name. Let's give a fake name for the boy, which will be Pa. Literally, this is the this is written. So this is what she said, Pa, P-A-W. Like I mentioned, I have a boyfriend who a couple months ago suddenly blurted out the same name. My old friend Pa contacted me again and other various stories about this friend of his. I asked him what ethnicity or race Pa was since in my dream he was clearly Asian. Paul was Paul is Asian was his answer. It freaked me out cuz clearly this has to be the same person that came to my dreams and the psychic had told me about. It scares me cuz I'm so happy with my boyfriend, but Paul is coming very close into existence now. Even though the psychic said I would end up with Paul instead of my boyfriend, I don't want to. I don't know what to do as I know the universe's will universe's will is what happens for now i have no idea how it would even happen or even why if i'm happy why does it need to go wrong i'm just very confused and wanted to share it with people who would take me seriously i have not yet met him in real life and do not wish to either it feels like this paw is just here to wreck my relationship soulmate or not i do not want him oh girl I would have like honestly left that alone. I wouldn't have dealt. I wouldn't have asked a psychic about nothing. I would have left it alone because it'd be different if you wasn't if she wasn't in a relationship, but she is, and this person that she's dreaming about that she's never met is her boyfriend's friend. Do you know how fucked up the universe can be sometimes? Because this is fucked up. Now imagine if she followed the the universe's will. And 
it happened to be fate. How would her boyfriend feel about this? Now, this, okay, first of all, this is not a relationship uh, advice thing for this episode. We're strictly talking about dream visitation. It's weird. It's so weird. Not weird, like, ill weird, but it's so weird that, you know, you can dream about somebody you've never met, and this person is actually real. And you don't know what to do. You can't approach them. You can't search them on Facebook. I mean, you can search them on Facebook, but, I mean, shit. They might be trying to hide. They might be high, uh, have a different name on Facebook. You never know. Now, somebody in the comments said, read up on Twin Flames and the journey. Just because they share a name doesn't mean his friend is the same guy from your dream. So try to relax. Did, did you read anything she said? She said it's literally the same ethnicity, same name. Like, who? Okay. Don't weird out the friend because you're having an existential crisis. If it happens to be the guy from your dream, just stay calm and don't try to press beyond politeness. Just because you're meant to be with a twin flame doesn't mean it will 100% happen. You still have free will. For now, try to block the knowledge that you'll end up breaking up with the current boyfriend from your mind and focus on this relationship. We all have more than one soulmate. Sometimes you meet your twin flame and don't end up together and instead end up with a true soulmate. If you're happy, be happy. There isn't a universal law that you have to be with your twin flame in this lifetime. It'll happen when it's meant to, but you can't force it, and you don't need to make it happen. Just let life play out the way it will and focus on what's making you happy now. Don't wreck your life over a guy, no matter who they are. Okay, so I agree with everything other than the the, the first sentence. So I had a twin flame, and I honestly thought he was my soulmate. But, you know, you see people's true colors once you get older. And um, you just don't want to deal with their shit anymore because you've grown. But they want you to be the person that they're used to. And I really thought that this person, like, was my twin flame, like my soulmate. And it's so weird because, like, I, with this person, I was literally looking at my, like, when I first met them, I was literally looking at myself. I was looking at myself. I was like, golly, like, we are the same person. And then we got to know each other, and then seven years passed, and I just, I had to let it go. But I'm kind of glad I didn't settle down. Like, I'm kind of glad I went through a phase where I matured, and I saw that I didn't want to deal with it like I said this is not supposed to be a relationship thing we're talking about twin flames and dream visitation I've never had somebody I've never dreamed of somebody like that's continuously popping up in my dream now I do see faces in my dreams um that I I don't know who they are like I like they're just you know background people but I've never like really, you know what? I haven't dreamed in a long time. It's been a couple months since I've actually had a dream or that I've dreamed and remembered it. I usually try to like, lately I have been, when I dream, I write it down, like write down exactly what I remember from the dream and then what happened the night before. And it really helps me to understand like what my subconscious is telling me. And I kind of like, make the changes in my life where it sees fit from there. And of course I do the research, blah, blah, blah. 
But um, this is this is awesome. I think I'm gonna try to find more visitation dream Reddit stories. But um, that's a good, it's a good little story. I hope that she um doesn't del- delve too much into this simply because she does have a boyfriend, and it the the guy that she's dreaming about happens to be her boyfriend's friend. So I might I'm gonna save this one and try to come back if there's an update. I'm gonna end the show right here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, I am going to do better with the episode uploads. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Some Scary Shit Pod. No I in shit for show updates and visuals for today's show. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget to vote on the poll about today's episode. If you like the show so far, please, please rate it five stars and give us your honest review. And if you'd like, you can donate to the Tech Fund on Buy Me a Coffee. If you have a story you want shared or a story you want me to cover, please email the podcast at ts3pod at gmail.com. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye.